0: We are blessed every year for the past several years to have a summer series during the months of June and July and this year our summer series is going to be on the theme of some great Bible questions and we are privileged tonight to have with us Brother Bobby Liddell. Brother Bobby has been the director at the Memphis School of Preaching but recently has decided he wanted to do more in local work and so he is now preaching in local work as well as teaching a full slate of classes and serving as the administrative dean of the Memphis School of Preaching. He is a very dear friend uh, and a very close friend of this congregation, and we're very delighted to have him with us to preach the gospel tonight on the subject, Am I My Brother's Keeper? I'm always happy to be at Bible Branch. I commend this congregation wherever I go and point, brethren, to it as a congregation that is working, that is growing, that is doing the will of the Lord, a congregation that is full of faith. And so your faith is known far and wide. I appreciate, respect, and admire the good elders that oversee this congregation. A good congregation does not just happen It is because they are good leaders who are leading that church in the way it ought to go. So I'm thankful for the good elders here. And it's always good to see my dear friend, Brother Tony Lawrence, a man whom I admire also very much and who has been such a close friend to me and such a great advisor and helper in so many ways. Am I my brother's keeper is a sad question, isn't it, because of the context Because of the tragic events that go with it. Hope you have your Bibles with you and that you will open them to Genesis 4. And let's look at a few verses together. We'll read verses 1 through 9 to get the setting, to understand the background. Genesis 4, 1 through 9. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Notice that Eve, the mother, said, I have gotten a man. Cain's name means acquired. I have acquired a man. But notice from where she said she acquired him. From the Lord, from Jehovah. So it is good to see that the very first mother with the very first child looks to God as the one from whom that child came. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. They followed in the footsteps of their father, but one went in the direction of keeping sheep, and the other in the direction of tilling the ground. In process of time it came to pass that Cain brought forth of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Sin there indicating the sin offering, the opportunity for there to be atonement made. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain was the older brother. Being the older brother has with it certain opportunities, certain privileges, but also certain responsibilities. I have a younger brother. He was born on my fifth birthday. I was not very happy about that. But I have always felt, even to this day, A responsibility to help him, to watch over him, though he doesn't think he needs it. To help to guide him, to protect him. Cain had that responsibility as well. That should have been the course that he took. Sadly, it was not. Eve said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, don't you know? But there was, with Adam and Eve, the first parents. The joy and wonder associated with childbirth. And she carried that child for nine months close to her heart. As we just sang, near to the heart of God. So the child was close to her heart. And then for that little baby to be born, the first baby. Adam and Eve were created full grown. Here's the first baby. What a joy. Don't you know they were overflowing with love and excitement? But also with thanksgiving that God had blessed them so. Here's the firstborn, a man-child from the Lord. And how that joy must have filled their home. But then to have another son. And now they're brothers. And those of us who have siblings understand what that means. To have a brother or a sister. One that is so close to us. One with whom we share that special bond. There is a love there because we are of the same family. To have brothers and now they can watch those brothers grow together. I don't know how far apart they were born. But if they were close enough, if they could grow together and play together And learn together. And Adam and Eve could observe those milestones for which all parents watch that first step, that first word, the first time that child did certain things. My grandson, who is five, got his first trophy yesterday. And I was there when he got it, and he was thrilled. I was too. He said, Daddy Bob, this is my first trophy. I said, I know, and I'm so proud of you. He said, I'm proud of myself. (laughs) A milestone. He'll never forget that, and I won't either. So what a joy it must have been to watch them. He has a three-year-old brother. They play together. They fight together sometimes. They love mud. They're 100% all-American red-blooded boys. And I tell Garrett, the older one, you have to watch out for Anderson. Because he doesn't know all that you know. He might do something he doesn't know is dangerous. You've got to watch out for him. Keep him away from danger. Anderson's not afraid of any bug. He'll pick up a black widow spider. And so I said, you have to keep him away from spiders. There's that responsibility. But here are two brothers that they grow together. And they grow to be men now there comes a day that they present their offerings to God. But when you look at the original language, the indication is they presented first themselves. And then their offerings. And God had commanded worship just as He commands worship today. Just as Jesus has told us, John 4, 23 and 24, that God seeks true worshipers. Though that worship, him, Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is the only kind of worship that he will accept. And so while God commands worship, he also has instructed what we are to do in worship and how we are to do it. And God has never left worship up to the devices of men. And he did not in this day with Cain and Abel. Even today we read Matthew 15, 9, where those who worship according to the commandments of men do so in vain. God won't accept that. And so we see the worship of Cain and Abel. And God didn't say to them, just worship something. Just find something that you want to have as your God and worship it. And God didn't say to them, just do something in worship and I'll accept it no he gave them instructions obviously because we read in Hebrews 11:4 that by faith by faith that faith that comes by hearing the word of God Romans 10:17 by faith Abel offered unto God how did he know what to do he did it by faith because God had revealed that to him By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Why the difference? Why is it when we read Genesis 4 that it says that the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering? We know it is not because God is a respecter of persons. That's not it. It is not that God looked upon Abel and said, I like Abel, and so whatever he does will be okay. That's not it. The difference in God's response is because of the difference in the offerings. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he also obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. He speaketh. Day by what he did so long ago. And so they brought their offerings and the Lord had respect. That word means he looked upon with regard. He had respect to Abel's offering, but he did not have respect unto Cain and his offering. And the Lord spoke to Cain. And he told him, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well sin, the sin offering lieth at the door. Obviously, the Lord was instructing Cain and seeking to help him to realize he had to make correction. What he had done was not acceptable, but he could be accepted. And here's how to do it. And so the Lord was trying to instruct him. And in these questions that he asked these are not questions where the Lord didn't know the answer. These are questions that He asked Cain in order to instruct him and to help him to come to the realization that he could do what the Lord said, how the Lord said, do it, and then he would do well and God would be pleased with it. But Cain's response was not a response of humility. He didn't say to the Lord, I'm sorry. I should have done differently. It was not a a plea of ignorance. He didn't say the Lord, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, but now that I do know, I'm going to do what thou wouldst have me to do. It was not a response of godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7.10, that works repentance. But it was rather a response of anger. Cain was very wroth. He was furious. He was incensed, as we say in the South. And his purpose was not to find the way to resolve the problem with the Lord and do what the Lord wanted him to do, but his purpose now was to go to Abel and to take out his hostility upon him. I learned a long time ago as a preacher of the gospel that many times people will be hostile toward the preacher because of the message the preacher has given when he simply told them what the Lord said. But instead of that one who was guilty and sees that guilt through the sermon, instead of that one turning from his sin to do right, he wants to blame somebody else for his problem. It can't be his fault. It has to be somebody else's fault. He can't blame God. He's afraid to do that. But here's the preacher, so we blame him. Or maybe it will be the elders who are blamed because of it. And so it appears then that Cain was looking for somebody to blame. Instead of trying to solve the problem and do what was right and fix what had been wrong, he's looking for somebody to blame. And so he looks to his brother Abel. Talks with him. In the field with him one day, he kills him. He takes his life. Now what do you think Adam and Eve Thought about that. How did they feel? Here is their son Cain, who has killed his brother Abel. And obviously, no remorse. The Lord speaks to him and asks, Where is Abel, thy brother? He says, I don't know. Added the lie to his sin already committed. And then he says this, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer, of course, is yes, you are. We are our brother's keeper. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, why did Cain slay Abel, his brother? We could speculate, but we have a divinely given, inspired commentary upon that. Look at 1 John 3.12. 1 John 3.12, that gives us the reason. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, he was of the devil. You know, Jesus said, as John 8.44 records of those Jews on that day, that they were of their father, the devil. He said, in the lust of your father ye will do. Notice also it says, he was a murderer from the beginning. And so Cain slew his brother. Why did he do that? Because he was of the devil. And he slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? That's the question we're asking. Why did he do it? The inspired answer is because his own works were evil. And his brother's righteous Jude 11 warns and pronounces a woe upon them who follow in the way of Cain. And what was the way of Cain? It was that age-old struggle between self and God. Are we going to serve self or are we going to serve God? The way of Cain was the way of self. In that he was, first of all, self-willed. He wanted to do what he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. And nobody said anything about it. He wanted to be approved in doing it that way. He was self-willed. But also he was selfish. And selfish goes with pride. Those two words automatically fit together. Selfishness and the proud arrogance of men. Those go together. He was selfish. He was concerned about himself. He wasn't concerned about Abel. He wasn't concerned about his parents. He wasn't concerned about God or what God wanted and how God felt and what he thought about what Cain did. So there was self-will and selfishness, but also the stubbornness that goes with that. Instead of his godly sorrow, repenting and asking for forgiveness and determining to do better, he stubbornly dug in his heels. And so there was the problem of self. The way of Cain is the way of self. But the way of Cain is not the way of God. It is the way of ungodliness. The ungodliness of rebellion and disobedience the ungodliness of anger and resentment, the ungodliness of hatred and wrath. The word ungodly means we are not like God. Those are characteristics, attitudes, and actions that are not like God. But it was the way of Cain. He was one who followed self, and he was ungodly so why did he slay his brother? Because his works were of the devil. But his brother's works were righteous. Now righteous means right doing. He had done right. Right doing means we do what God has commanded. Psalm 119, 172. My tongue shall speak of thy word for all thy commandments are righteousness. So when we follow the commandments of God... We are righteous. Abel, obviously, by faith, followed the commandments of God. But Cain's works were evil because they were not of God. They were of self and actually were of the devil. And so what about us today as we consider these points? As we think about this question, am I my brother's keeper? First of all, we are talking about in a spiritual sense that relationship as brethren. We're not talking about the physical relationship except as it typifies and, and illustrates that spiritual relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so who is my brother? He's the one who's in the same family, spiritually as I am. But what does the word keeper mean? It means to guard literally. It is the idea of being a watchman and watching over our brethren. And so it combined means to protect. But then who is my brother? When we say this word, we're talking about males and females. Brothers and sisters included. Our brother is one who's in that same family, as we noted, 2 Corinthians six eighteen, where the Lord said, Come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God is our Father. When we have separated ourselves and have come to him in obedience to his will, and we then are his sons and daughters, and that makes us in the same family. Now in 1 Timothy 3.15, the house of God is the church of the living God. The word house there literally means a dwelling place, but it means figuratively those who dwell therein. So that is the idea of the household or the family. So our brothers spiritually are those who are in that same family. And if God is our father, we are his children. We are brothers and sisters in his spiritual family. And God has commanded certain responsibilities and relationships that we have as brethren. want us to focus upon just a few of those in the time we have left. The first of these is found in Hebrews thirteen one, where God has commanded us, let brotherly love continue. That word means let it keep on keeping on. It is that unfeigned love, that fervent love that comes from a pure heart. First Peter one twenty two and twenty three. And so the first thing we ought to know about the family is that we love one another. That ought to be a natural consequence of being brothers and sisters, having the same father. So we need to ask ourselves, how do we feel toward our family members? Are we like Cain, whose hostility overcame his love? Whose wrath and resentment was focused upon his brother to the point that he slew him. That one who is in the family is one who's in the church. The church of our Lord is the family of God. It's the one that Jesus said he would build, Matthew sixteen, eighteen. The one for which he paid the price, Acts twenty twenty eight, with his own precious blood. God has only one family. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6 show the need for unity. And verse 6 tells us there is one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So God has only one family. We have only one Father. There is no other family. God has no other bride. He's not married to any other. He has no illegitimate children, all his children are in his family, his one family of which he is the one father. And that family is the one church, Ephesians 4, that one body, Colossians 1:18, of which Christ is head, and that body to which all the saved are added by the Lord Acts 2:47. And so when we look at the question, who is my brother? He's in the family. The family of God. He's in the church. He's there because he's been saved. If I've been saved, then we're brothers in Christ. There's a special relationship there. It ought to be that we watch for one another. It ought to be that we protect one another. That we guard one another. That we keep one another. Second Peter 1, through 5-11 gives what we call the eight Christian graces. Included in that is brotherly kindness or brotherly love. Philadelphia, love of the brethren. That love that Christians cherish for each other as brethren. That love that God has commanded to us as we noted earlier. That love that we manifest and should manifest in so many different ways. Sometimes it may be that our proper attitude toward our brother means that we simply listen with a with a sympathetic ear. There are times, as a preacher, I have just listened. And when the one with whom I was having the meeting got through, that one might praise me. Oh, I just appreciate your help. <laughs> I didn't do anything but listen. Sometimes that's all it takes to listen with a sympathetic ear. It may be sometimes that we need to speak with the voice of admonition and exhortation. There may be times that we need to give warning. There may be times that we simply need to encourage. It may be that sometimes we need to have that watchful eye. I stopped at a sonic on the way here. And I was sitting there in my car, and there was a family, a young mother, father, and a little child, looked to be about four or five, and they were sitting at the tables in the front part, and he was up on the table, running and jumping and playing, and I thought, that's a dangerous thing. He was in his sock feet, and I thought his feet will slip, that table is metal, and about the time I thought that, there he went, landed head first on the concrete. And I thought, well, I should have said something, and then I thought, I don't know if it had been my place, and they may not have listened. But it should have been the case that those who knew better should have said to him, this is not something you need to do. This is dangerous. You could get hurt. But they were too busy with their phones, whatever they were doing, to be watching the little child. He wasn't hurt, seriously. Maybe he learned a lesson there are times we may need to say to our brethren, what you're doing is dangerous. You could get hurt. And I'm concerned about you. It may be sometimes that we need simply to have a shoulder upon which to cry. You know grown men cry? They do. Preachers cry. Did you know that? Elders cry. Sometimes that's what they do. And it may be that sometimes we just need to have that shoulder upon which to cry. Or it may be that sometimes we need to have that back ready to help to bear the burden. There are people right here tonight who have burdens of which we're not aware. Some that are almost too much for them to bear. And as our brother's keeper, we need to be ready to help to bear that burden. There may be things beyond our control. We, we cannot change that. But we can be there with the person who's having to bear it. It may be that sometimes we need to have feet that take both of us to where we need to go. Perhaps he can't get there by himself. and So he needs someone to help him. It may be that sometimes we need to have lips that just speak good of one another. There are times that we need to be commended. We need to be praised. We need to be encouraged. Go out of your way to praise those little folks who are trying to do what's right. And the mamas and daddies who are bringing them to the services, to the Bible classes. Those elders who are working hard, doing a whole lot more than you imagine and realize. That preacher who is uh, preaching and doing the best he knows how. Look for those Bible class teachers and thank them for what they're doing. And that's one way to help. It may be that sometimes those are the things we need to do, but here's something we need to do always. That is, we need to have hearts that recognize and rejoice in opportunities to be our brother's keeper, to show the love that we ought to show, to serve like we ought to serve, to be there for that one who needs us when he needs us. Instead of hostile resentment toward our brethren, God commands us to love one another. And the lack of that relationship is a real problem in the church today. I passed a church building, a Church of Christ assembly place, and had on the sign there that we don't change the message, the message changes us. And I thought about that. When the world doesn't listen, it's not the message that is the problem. When the world doesn't listen, it may be that we're not living like we ought to live. And one way they can see that, perhaps better than any other, is when we love one another. We're kind and tender-hearted one to another, Ephesians 4:32. We love one another as God has loved us. As Jesus said, he gave that perfect example. As I have loved you, so love one another. John 13, 34 and 35. And he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That means we don't speak evil one of another. James four eleven and 12. We don't grudge one against another. James 5.9 That means don't keep on murmuring and complaining. But instead we're looking out for one another. We stick together because we're family. We love one another because we're brothers in Christ. We rejoice in that unity. We're glad when the family gets together. We're there when that brother may be attacked. I read in a paper last week about some of my brethren, whom I know and love dearly, being attacked with lies and slander. But you know what? Second Timothy two nineteen is still in the book. And it says, The Lord knoweth them that are his. We can speak good of one another. We can stand up for one another. We can watch out for one another. We can protect one another. I don't mean to harbor sinners or compromise with sin. but We can stand up for what is right because it is right. And we know as long as we do that, the Lord is standing with us because we're standing with Him. So the question is, am I my brother's keeper? That's a good question. The brother, one in the same family keeper, one who watches out, protects, guards. When we do that, we're not going to be guilty of wrong motives. We're not going to be guilty of wrong actions. We're not going to slander, backbite, evil surmise, seek to undermine, bring false charges against. We're going to seek instead to elevate our brethren, And to encourage them, and by so doing, to help the cause of Christ. And when we do that, we, though that is not the goal, will elevate ourselves. When we do what we should with humility, God will lift us up. Am I my brother's keeper? What a question. We're saddened by the events that brought that question to come to pass. But we rejoice to know that relationship that we have one with another. And the privilege and opportunity as well as the responsibility that we have toward each other because we are family. I want you to look at a couple of verses with me. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Let begin with the word finally, and this will be how we close tonight. Finally, Peter says by inspiration. He writes in this first epistle, Be ye all of one mind. Don't have discord and division. That should never characterize members of the same family. Be all of one mind, having compassion one to another. That feeling, that passion that we have with one another. Love as brethren. That says it all, doesn't it? Be pitiful, that is, full of pity. Be courteous, not rendering evil for evil. Railing for railing, but contrary wise blessing. You know, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. You think about Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, but then later he helped them. He put the past in the past. He even recognized and announced, "These are my brethren." It's not always easy, but it's always right. Knowing that you're thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing—what a blessing it will be when we realize and when we practice. This admonition from God to love one another that will prompt us to be our brother's keeper. It may be there's one here tonight who's never obeyed the gospel. We want you to be in the family of God. We want to be able to call you our brother, our sister in Christ. We want to rejoice in that relationship and share that love with you that is found only in that family as brethren. To do that, you need to come to Jesus. He says, "Believe on Him," John eight twenty four. Repent of all past sins, Luke thirteen three. Confess your faith in Him, Romans ten nine and ten. Be buried with Him in baptism, Romans six three. From which you may then arise and walk in newness of life, verse four. You will be born again, John three three and five. And when you're born again, you're born into the family of God. And your brothers. Your sisters will rejoice with you. Here's a new child of God. We're going to watch out for him. We're going to protect him. We're going to guard him. We're going to help him get to heaven as we seek to get there ourselves. It may be that you've done those things but haven't continued faithfully. Maybe even in this area that we've discussed tonight. Whatever it might be that separates you from God, it's not worth losing your soul. Put that behind you. God offers you the opportunity just as He did to Cain. There's atonement made for you. The sin offering has been made, Hebrews 10, 12. You can come again and be renewed to that fellowship once more. Be welcomed back by your loving Father. And we'll be glad to help you any way that we can. It's up to you now. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?